Tonight's reading is from 2 Timothy, and that can be found on page 1195, and we're starting at verse 8 of chapter 1. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel, by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me keeps the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Homogenus. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Great. Thanks, Abby, so much. Uh, keep the Bibles open. We're going to pray and ask for God's help as, uh, as we dwell on his word. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we've had this opportunity this evening to, to sing some wonderful truths, to proclaim some wonderful truths. The truth of the gospel, that, that Christ died to set us free. And Lord, we pray that you would help us now as we, as we think about this passage, what it means for us, what it means for our church here at Bishop Hannington. Help us to, to listen carefully, intently, but help us to, where we need to make changes, do that. Where we're comfortable, help us to be disturbed by your grace. And where we're disturbed, help us to know your comfort, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, well, as I've been praying, it's, it's great, all the things that we get to do here at church, um, and we can do it in a, in a culture of, of feeling pretty unashamed. I mean, think about what we've done this evening. We have, we have sung wonderful truths about who Jesus is and, and what he has done. We have we've stood and, and affirmed a creed uh, together about what we believe. Uh, and hopefully beforehand and afterwards, we're going to be having all sorts of conversations, uh, and, and actually we want God to be a part of those conversations. It shouldn't feel an unnatural place to come along to church and actually expect someone to probably talk about God at some point. We shouldn't feel like, oh goodness, where did that come from? They started talking about God at church. Um, that should be part, part of what, what we do. Um, we talk about God at church. And, and wherever you are at this evening, realise we're all at different stages. Some of you may have been professing faith in Christ for, for decades. Some of you may be uh, recent, uh, recently come to faith. Some of you are not quite sure where you are. Perhaps it's your first Sunday in, in a church building, in which case, um, welcome to you. Um, 
it shouldn't be hard to talk about God and the gospel at church. But what about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all the way through to Saturday? It should be easy to talk about church, about God at church, but what about the rest of our week? What about the, the rest of the time? Well, when Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and this point we get to this evening, um, he explains how any of us can be tempted to be ashamed of what we believe. Maybe not here this evening, but, but in all sorts of different ways. Um, I was thinking about this this week, and there's a, there's a blogger, a guy from, from Australia called um, Stephen Krieger, who works, I think, out of Sydney, and he, he wrote on this blog 13 kind of points or tests to see whether you are ashamed of the gospel. And it makes for um, quite depressing reading. Um, but, but here are a few of the things I, I picked that, that he had said. And think about these for yourself. How likely are you to get a Bible out on the train and start reading? Not just get your smartphone out and load up version, but actually get out like something like this that says Holy Bible. It's, it's obvious what it is and, and start reading that on the train. Or perhaps you get into work. How likely are you going to be to leave a, a Bible on your desk or a cross or maybe a little postcard with, some, with a Bible verse on it on your desk at work or, or at college? How likely are you if you see someone else you know from church who are going through a tough time, you see them in the middle of town, maybe outside Churchill Square, and actually just put an arm around them and pray for them there and then. How likely are you to mention Jesus in a post on social networking, or even have on your Facebook profile that actually you are a Christian? How likely are you to mention the name Jesus when you are around people who aren't Christians? It's been easy this evening, hasn't it, being able to sing these things. But I wonder, if you can picture that one person who who maybe you find it hardest to talk to about your faith, standing right in front of you as you were singing this evening, singing those words. All of a sudden it brings a real realness to what we're saying. I wonder how ashamed we would be. And it's an issue that Jesus talks about. He talks about this in Luke chapter 9. He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I don't want to be ashamed on that day when I stand before him, when he returns and be ashamed of what I've done. Now don't get me wrong, not being ashamed or being unashamed doesn't automatically make us a Christian. Going out and being a great evangelist doesn't make us a Christian. But it should be some level of indication as to what we are actually believing. And this doesn't just apply to any of us, any of us this evening. This specifically applies to pastors, to preachers, to missionaries, to vicars, which is a shame why Phil Moon isn't sat there this evening, because he is the specific target audience, the the pastors in our church. This is why Paul is writing this letter to his friend Timothy. Phil will have to listen uh, online, I'm sure he will. But there's temptations for preachers, for vicars as well. Perhaps to be ashamed of, of teaching what the Bible says about money, where no, it could ruffle feathers. Or teaching what the Bible says about sex or identity. 
or challenging specific sin in the church, calling it out for what it is. You see, uh, Paul says preachers are just as susceptible to become ashamed of Jesus and of this message. But the consequences are worse, aren't they? Because I'm standing up here preaching and hopefully you're listening. And then you're going to go out and, and do stuff this week as a result. Preachers, pastors, vicars, missionaries are just as susceptible to be ashamed of the message of the gospel. We see that. So a friend um, who, is, who is struggling what to do with a whole load of books in his library at the moment, who in the last two years, the authors of those books have turned their back on the gospel. Do, we, do you keep reading them or not? I'm not sure. But this is why Paul is addressing this part of his letter to Timothy. Because it is all too easy, it was in Paul's day, for people to be ashamed of this message, and particularly of Paul. So we're going to think about this evening, sorry, a bit of a long intro, why we need to be unashamed of the gospel. Jesus has said, given us good reason why, because we don't want to be ashamed on that day. What's happening in this point in Paul's life though in 2 Timothy? Well, uh, Matt started this off last week. We see that Paul is in prison. This is probably the last time he's going to be in prison. He is facing death that could be days or weeks away, execution. And at his end of, of, of this particular age in the life of, of the church, where, where Jesus sent out his apostles into the world to, to, to begin this message, reaching the end of that now, passing it on to the next Generation, like that image of a baton being, being passed on. So Paul, what he does here is he addresses one of the key issues that have affected already in Paul's life and continues to do 2,000 years later. One of those issues, temptations that gets in the way of teaching a faithful gospel. And basically what Paul does is he sums it up in verse 8. So if you want to just remember one verse from the whole of 2 Timothy, verse 8 isn't a bad one to go to. He says, don't do one thing, do another thing. Look at what he says. He says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul says, don't do one thing. Don't be ashamed of the message of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. But notice how he ties that with himself. To be ashamed of of Paul. And think about the reasons why you could easily be ashamed of Paul. He is... He is this guy who's been a bit of an outcast. He certainly doesn't look like a successful minister down in this this jail in Rome awaiting execution. It's not a very popular thing to, to announce that you are best buddies with this guy who's in jail expecting to be executed. He says, don't be ashamed of that and we'll see why in just a moment. But do be prepared to join in with me in suffering for the gospel. One of the reasons we often most feel uh, ashamed of something is when we fear that suffering is coming. And when we see in a few times, we'll come, we'll come to in just a moment, where, where Paul connects shame and suffering. We, we don't want to suffer, so we are ashamed of something to try and avoid suffering. We are suffering averse. But we want to think about being unashamed of the gospel and what it means for, for pastors, for vicars, missionaries to be unashamed of the gospel. And three things we're going to think about this evening. They're on the back of the, the blue sheets if you want to scribble notes. Why should we be unashamed of this gospel? What does being unashamed look like? And how will being unashamed affect us? Firstly then, why should we be unashamed of this gospel? Paul says really simply, 
because it's all about what Jesus has done for you. Now that sounds like a really churchy throwaway remark, doesn't it? We hear that stuff quite often. It's all about what Jesus has done for you. Okay, great. But that is what Paul goes to first. He doesn't say, Timothy, you know, the kind of guy you are, you just need to sort yourself out. You know, don't be ashamed. Hold on to it. He starts by telling him what Jesus has done for him. He is deadly serious. You see, Timothy should be unashamed because of what Jesus Christ has done for him personally. Phil, our vicar, can be unashamed because of what Jesus Christ has done for him personally. Each one of us can be unashamed for what Jesus Christ has done for us personally. Have a look with me at just the beginning of verse 9, what Paul says, how he starts this off. He says, he, that's Jesus, has saved us and called us to a holy life. The first thing Paul starts with to encourage this young guy, Timothy, this young minister in this church, to be unashamed of the gospel is that through the death that Jesus died on the cross, Timothy has been freed from the consequences of all his sin. His separation from God. The guilt he experiences. And even his shame. Now, traditionally in the West, we've dealt more in terms of sort of uh, guilt. We call ourselves a guilt culture in terms of either, you know, someone is guilty or they are innocent and, and you're either one side or the other. Um, if you travel somewhere like East Asia, you don't get that so much. You have more of this shame and honour culture. It's either about being shamed or holding a place of honour. But what's interesting, we're starting to see more and more of that, kind of that shame, um, come through in terms of um, stuff we see on social media, stuff we see in the news, stuff we see online. People are afraid to be shamed, publicly shamed. It doesn't matter whether they've done something wrong or not, but to be shamed is, is for many a, a fate worse than death. But shame is one of the things that Jesus has dealt with for the believer. Paul starts by telling Timothy, do not be unashamed of this gospel of me, this, his, Jesus' his prisoner, a prisoner for the gospel's sake. And he doesn't tell him that to make him either feel proud, neither does he tell him that to make him feel depressed, but humbled and unashamed to preach this message that he's been called to pass on. I've already sung about it this evening, but all of this came to Timothy not because of his ability to live a shame-free life or perfect life, but what the Bible says is God's grace, God's gift of grace. Have a look at that second part of verse 9, see what Paul says. So he says, you've been saved not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So Jesus has given Timothy, he's given Phil, he's given me and you what we don't deserve. Total forgiveness, adoption into into God's eternal family. And Timothy or myself or you haven't earned or unlocked God's forgiveness by trying to be good. And Paul makes that point really clear because of where he tells us this grace came into effect for us. He doesn't say this grace came to you at the moment that you knew that you were a believer. 
He doesn't say this grace was there for you when you were 11. He doesn't say this grace was there for you at the moment you were born or even the moment you were conceived. Where does he say this grace was there for you? Before the beginning of creation itself. If you wanted to make a point that this grace was a completely free gift and you weren't able to to, to sort that out for yourself, how much further back would you have to go than the beginning of creation itself? Timothy being saved by Jesus is 100% God's grace, done for him even before the creation of the world. Before anything began, God had a plan to save us at the cost of his son. And yet we can still be ashamed of him. Do you see how crazy that is? Do you see how crazy it is that we can be ashamed to get our Bibles out on the train? Bearing in mind just how far back God had chosen us to be part of his family. Well, what's the consequence of this incredible shame-busting grace? Paul tells us in verse 10, this grace that was there for us ready from the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed. We now know what it looks like through the appearance of our Saviour, Christ Jesus. That is how we can have God's grace, through what he has done, our Saviour. What has he done? Where he has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. By the grace of Jesus, we now have eternal life, Paul says to Timothy. The greatest gift that anyone could receive. I was thinking about this this week, and and what scares me and, and, and my heart is how often I seemingly act in a way that is ashamed or just maybe a bit embarrassed about talking about it. Maybe ashamed is too much of a strong word. Maybe we don't resonate with feeling ashamed. But maybe in some circumstances we feel a bit embarrassed. I wonder if um, if you found out this week that a long uh, a, a distant relative that you never heard of died all of a sudden and left you one hundred million pounds that you could do with whatever you wanted to. I reckon there's a chance that next Sunday you might possibly mention that in conversation to someone. Or perhaps, you know, you'd pull up on Holmes Avenue with a a slightly faster car than you had last week. There's a chance you would talk about something that wonderful that had happened to you. But what is going to happen to that £100 million in 30, 40, 50 years' time when you're no longer around to use it? It's gone, isn't it? What about what Paul is talking about? If you, have, if you have received this gift of his grace by, by trusting in Christ, then actually you're saying far greater than £100 million at your disposal. You have adoption into the king's family. But we're embarrassed. We're ashamed. So Paul gives, us, Paul gives Timothy this ministry is passing the baton on of the gospel, these reasons for why he, should be, why he should be unashamed, because Jesus has saved him by his grace, and he gets eternal life thrown in. What, though, might this look like as we, we live it out in our life? What does being unashamed look like? For, for Timothy, for, for Phil, for, 
for the church leadership, for you and for me. Uh, well, Paul gives us four things that we can, we can use to think about these things. And, and these would be great things to pray this week, these four things. So if you have got a note to scribble them down, pray for these things, for Phil, for me, for, for the preachers in this church this week. And the first one is in faithfully proclaiming the gospel. Have a look at verse 11. Paul has explained the gospel and then he says, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Paul has been given this good news and he is out there sharing it. He is proclaiming this message. And the first word that he uses there is a, is a herald. And who, what is a herald? A herald is someone who comes in and announces that something has happened. I've been amazed recently, I've been looking through the book of Acts, and, and often how simple, particularly Paul's sermons are. <coughs> Excuse me. He, he talks about what, what the Old Testament was pointing to in terms of what the coming king, the coming Messiah would look like. He explains the fact that Jesus came, he was rejected, he died, he came back to life, and he says, what are you going to do about it? Very simple, he just proclaims this message. And God uses that, and the Holy Spirit works and brings many people to faith. He is a herald, he is announcing what Jesus has done. Paul isn't innovating, he isn't changing the message. Now, some scholars will say that Paul has changed everything that Jesus has said. You'll get some people who say, yeah, we, we like Jesus, we like what he was saying, but Paul, no, he completely changed the New Testament. Christians are brainwashed into thinking what Paul wanted them to think. Some people will have you believe that. But the problem about that is, where is their evidence? It doesn't come from the Bible. Paul isn't innovating a message, he is a herald. He is announcing the truth of what Jesus has done. And the second word he uses there is he is an apostle. An apostle is someone who is sent. Now, many people are sent, we think about sending mission partners. But the kind of apostle that Paul is talking about is kind of a once-for-all thing. That is, people who Jesus specifically sent out into the world with a mission of starting off the spread of the gospel. So we think, as we read through the book of Acts, Peter is an apostle to the Jews and the Jewish people. Paul as an apostle, as, as a minister to the Gentiles. And that age is ending. That is why he's passing on the baton. Not to do new things, but to, to pass on that message to the four corners of the earth. But he is also a teacher. He is a herald. He proclaims the message and he teaches. He explains what it means. He doesn't add things into what Jesus has done or what the Bible says. But he is explaining it. He's teaching. This is the relevance for you today. So as he goes to Corinth, that means one thing. As he goes to Rome, that means one thing. It's the same message. He's just teaching it in a way that people would understand. It's great to think about the fact that in this church we have people meeting to do one-to-ones. We've got an older Christian teaching a younger Christian what it means to follow Christ. That is following in, in Paul's pattern of what he was doing. It's a noble task and it's great to hear that it's happening. That's the first thing, proclaiming the message 
faithfully. Pray for your ministers to be faithfully proclaiming the message, to be announcing it, not innovating, not changing it, announcing it faithfully. Secondly, it is a willingness to suffer. Here's the suffering thing coming up again. That's never very popular, but this is why it's here. Verse 12, Paul says, because of these things, this is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. For many of us, we avoid suffering because we think it will lead to shame. We are ashamed of something to avoid suffering. But Paul doesn't do that equation. For Paul, suffering for the gospel doesn't equal shame. Because he knows whatever shame he experiences in this life, it is only a temporary thing. Even if you stick your neck out and for 70, 80 years you experience Tremendous shame, as some Christians do around the world, for being a follower of Jesus. At the end of that time it went, and there will be no more shame. There needs to be a willingness to, to suffer as, as God's minister. Because actually what is most important cannot be taken away. But if people do reject us, and, and that often happens, maybe you've maybe you've uh, you've spoken to someone about Jesus, maybe a friend at college, maybe um, you've had that conversation with a family member time and time again, and you get rejected. Well, that can be a powerful motivator for feeling embarrassed or feeling ashamed about mentioning it again. Well, remember what Paul says that actually we don't need to feel ashamed because the most important thing cannot be taken away. That Jesus will guard us, that guard our identity in him until that day when he returns. We don't need to be ashamed. Which means that vicars, pastors, preachers must be willing to suffer for what they say. That doesn't mean that they say stuff in order to suffer. Oh, this will get me some extra brownie points, something like that. Not being gluttons for punishment or by trying to be a martyr or sound controversial. But actually in speaking, proclaiming the truth faithfully, they will accept that there will be people who won't like what they will say. And they will take offence. Maybe they will take offence at me. Maybe they will treat me differently as a result. At the end of the service, they will blank me. Maybe they'll make life hard for me. Maybe they'll send me those nagging emails about why they disagree with what I'm teaching. Maybe they will reduce their giving or stop giving altogether. Maybe they will actually just leave church one Sunday and never come back. But even so, what is most valuable cannot be lost. And God's minister cannot lose sight of that. So pray for Phil. Pray for the preachers here that they wouldn't be ashamed because they're scared of suffering. Thirdly, that they wouldn't budge on the fundamentals, verse 13. Paul says, what you heard from me, keep us the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. That is, don't water down the doctrine, so the things that are true about God, who he is, like the things that we said in the creed tonight. Don't water those down. Teach them faithfully. Explain them. 
But as you do that, do it with trust in God. Do it with faithfulness and love in your heart. So why don't you pray that Phil and and the preachers here wouldn't downplay things they know that are true, but they they would explain and teach those things in a way that is loving. They would hold those two things in balance. The truth, speaking the truth in love. And sometimes, actually, that might be really hard because it might just be more loving to say something hard than just to skip over it. Pray for them that they would do that. And lastly, that they would rely on God's strength. Verse 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. God's minister is not to let go of this message. But they are to protect it from all falsehood, from from all lying or or deception that might come into the church. Like you would guard your most precious possession, like you would guard your infant child, you are to guard this message, Timothy. But at the same time that you are to do that in God's strength. Let me explain why that's important. Because sometimes for, for, for preachers, for pastors, for, for missionaries, that we can think that actually we are the kind of person who doesn't get stuff wrong. Maybe that sounds a bit arrogant. Maybe we think more subtly that actually I'm the kind of person from this kind of church and we don't teach heresy here. We teach the truth. That's what we all want to believe. We don't teach falsehood here. Certainly not like that church do you see the difference you're trying to guard the truth of this but you're doing it in a way that's thinking actually yeah but it's my perseverance that keeps the sound doctrine here at Bishop Paddington we can make it about us and about our ability to try and stay sound to teach the truth Not the only reason I don't go all out and preach comfortable words and people-pleasing sermons is because that's just me. See, it's surely by God's grace that any of the words that I speak are true and beneficial to you. Four things then we can pray for our preachers and for Phil. Well, lastly then, as we finish off, what will being unashamed look like for us? And Paul gives us... Two sets of examples. How will being unashamed affect us? Well, let's have a look at verse 15 and this rather uh, sad example. Paul says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia, that's kind of modern day Turkey, has deserted me. Everyone. Including Figulus and Hermogenes. So one of the reasons being ashamed can affect us is that we can find ourselves on the wrong side of history. 2,000 years later, and all we know about these two people with unpronounceable names is that they deserted Paul in the time that he needed them most. I was chatting with Stephen beforehand, and, or uh, someone beforehand, and we were saying that actually, what might have happened to them after this? It was Matt, wasn't it? I knew he was going to ask me a difficult question. What, what happened to them afterwards? We, we don't know. Paul doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to these people afterwards. 
All we know about them is that they deserted Paul in the time that he needed them most. And think about these are the here for I reckon these are here for a reason. Not because they were the typical people that you would expect to let them down. These are just two random names that Paul has plucked out of the air of people who has deserted them. But these were probably seemingly pretty good guys. Guys that you would want on your side. That's why they're named. And that's a sober warning to us. That the people who we think would be there for us when we're really struggling can still let us down. But certainly at the time, no doubt for these two, by deserting Paul in that moment, it probably meant easier living for a while. Publicly allying with, with Paul, this guy in prison, that would make life hard. Turn my back on him, life gets easier. Life gets more enjoyable. But look where their name stands now. The list of people who deserted Paul in the hour he needed most. But Paul finishes with another example, and this is the kind of example that we want to be, as we we support Phil and and the leadership here of this church, and we think about what it means to be unashamed of the gospel. We we see this in verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often, often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. We get this one example then at the end of someone who is unashamed of the message of Jesus and of Jesus' apostle Paul. And someone who is willing to go the extra mile. This man helped Paul even in prison. He was not ashamed. Verse 17. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. Now we can guess at what that was probably like and why Paul is mentioning it. That probably wasn't just looking up Paul and where he last checked in or or where he, he, he was location sharing in Google Maps. That was probably pretty hard. And it would have been hard because either you've got all the Romans on one side who aren't that keen about you looking for this guy who's in prison, this troublemaker, and you've got the Jews and the Jewish leaders on the other side who, again, aren't that keen on you looking for this guy. Imagine it wasn't a walk in the park for Onesiphorus. But actually he was able to do this because he was focused on a future glory and Paul realises that. He was willing to be unashamed, whatever it cost him. Verse 18, may the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. That's not he may, but that's a statement. He's going to. Because he's shown in his life that he's unashamed of the gospel and of me, even when it was most costly. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Timothy knows himself. Timothy at this moment is probably in Ephesus. And he's heard stories already about this guy who hasn't deserted Paul. And his present behaviour here actually indicates a future hope. The way that we live today shows actually where we are placing our hope where expecting to be but this guy has shown his love for Christ in being unashamed for Paul so we want to take Paul's words seriously in terms of what it means for for God's minister to be 
unashamed of the gospel, what it means for us to be unashamed of the gospel. But paradoxically, I think there's a good chance that we're probably feeling ashamed of having felt ashamed. So what do we do with that? Well, two things. Firstly, a practical thing. I think often we think that that to be unashamed of the gospel, we have to do these amazing things. We have to do these incredible, you know, evangelistic events. We have to be the next kind of Billy Graham or kind of doing all this wonderful stuff. But actually, why can't we just start small and achievable? Why don't you on the train tomorrow actually take a Bible with you and just start reading it so people can see? Why don't you, you ask uh, your friend or, or someone actually, what did you do this weekend? Knowing that it's quite likely that they'll ask you, what, what did you do this weekend? said, oh, I went to church actually. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be grand. Or maybe you're at, you're at the school gates and you speak to this person who maybe you found it hard to, to start up a conversation with or maybe you've spoken with a few times saying, I just wondered whether you have any faith background at all. It doesn't have to be big to be unashamed. We're getting ready to do our next Alpha course that's going to start on September the 25th here. And we've got a whole load of postcards at the back that say you're invited. Why not take one of these and say to a friend, oh, I'm thinking about going along to this Alpha course. Why don't you come along with me? It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be grand to be unashamed of the gospel. But if we are feeling shame, then then let's finish with this. Let's remember our motivation. Remember that Jesus suffered more rejection, more shame than any of us will ever possibly know in our lives. To the end that we can stand before him on that day, along with Phil and the leaders of this church, by his grace, unashamed. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then we're going to sing about this amazing grace that we have in Christ. So let's bow our heads and pray and the band will come up. Heavenly Father, by your spirit, help us to be people who are unashamed. Lord, we pray for Phil and Anna uh, away this week. Pray that you would grant them rest. And we pray that you would help Phil and all the preachers here to be unashamed of the gospel. Help us as well to be unashamed of the message of Jesus and be prepared to suffer for that. Help us not to be embarrassed. Help us not to downplay the truth of what we believe. Because, Lord, we want to stand before you on that day confident that you have done everything and that we have been unashamed as a result. Lord, where we have failed, may we know your forgiveness. And, Lord, by your Spirit, encourage us to live lives that are unashamed of the gospel. For Jesus' sake. Amen.